This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Can we invite Brother Elijah to come forward? All right, to give us today's scripture reading, which is taken from the passage of Luke, chapter 24, verses 36 to 53. Uh, today's scripture will be taken from Luke, chapter 24, verse 36 to 53. Yes. Verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. This is the word of the Lord. I'd like to invite Pastor Andrew to deliver us this morning's sermon. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to pray that as we've come to this last part of the book of Luke, that you fill us with the immensity of what Jesus has done and to help us to be touched in our hearts so that with hearts full of joy we will go out to witness and worship you. We pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Recently I've been going to hospital to visit people. And you know one thing I noticed that is lacking and missing in hospitals? There are no happy people in hospital, right? You don't see any smiling, happy people. In fact, all you see are really worried and fearful people. And I realized that, you know, there's a progression in the hospital system. In the general ward, you have people who are sick, but not really that seriously sick. And then, uh, actually not progression, a digression. Then from the general ward, you have the high dependency ward where people are sick, but they're actually more sick, right? They actually need more attention. And then you go from the high dependency ward to the intensive care unit where people are really, really sick. And as you progress through the wards, that fear and that worry becomes more intense. The, the frowns that crease people's foreheads get deeper. The worried whispering in the corridors with the doctors gets more intense. The wringing of their hands as they sit beside the beds becomes more and more prominent. Right? 
So what are people so worried and fearful about in the hospital? What are they so scared about? Ironically, it's the word that you can never ever say in hospital. And what is that word? Die. Right? You can never mention that word in hospital. You, know, you never use that word to the patient. Die, right? It's the word that can never be spoken. Well, today, we're going to see God's solution to this word, die. Uh, the world's solution to dying is not to speak of dying, but here we see the true solution to dying. Now, over the last week or so, we've seen that Jesus has died on the cross. But as we saw last week when Nick was preaching to us, a whole set of circumstances came about where we see, it seems as if Jesus had risen from the dead. And so today's passage begins, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. So that this here is basically capturing all that's happened earlier on in the chapter. All that has happened which produces this weight of evidence that shows and answers the question that Jesus rise from the dead. So first and foremost, we saw that there was an empty tomb. We saw the women going to the empty tomb and meeting the angel, and the angel telling to them, why are you looking for Jesus here? This is not the place of the living but the dead. And the angel pointing, Jesus, uh, pointing the women to remember the words of Jesus that he must rise again. We saw last week the disciples on the road to Emmaus and meeting Jesus and Jesus bringing them back to the scriptures to remind them that he had to die and to rise again. And so here we have the weight of evidence that seems to suggest that Jesus had risen from the dead. In fact, last week we, we read the last few verses, right? It is true Jesus has risen from the dead. So while they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. But they were startled. They were frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. They said, he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? So we see that from last week, actually, they didn't really believe that Jesus rose from the dead, right? It was like, it's so difficult to believe that someone rises from the dead. It's out of our realm of experience that someone has risen from the dead. I mean, obviously, all of us here today, anybody know? apart from Jesus, of course, anybody in your personal circle of friends risen from the dead? No, right? It's, it's just something that happens in our part of experience. So they were startled, they were frightened, they were troubled, they had doubts, they were so skeptical, uncertain, disbelieving that Jesus had risen from the dead, they thought they saw a ghost. Then Jesus says, look at my hands and my feet, it is I myself. Touch and see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Now, the tone of Jesus is probably one of insistence and persistence, right? It's like, look at my hands and my feet. Touch and see, right? It's like, examine, inspect. Poke around the hole in my hand, you know? Give a, have a good feel of the hole in the scar on my hands and my feet, right? You know, you have a good fondle there to see that this is really me. It is I myself, right? Scrutinize that I have really risen from the dead. But even then, it says, after Jesus showed them this one more piece of evidence together with the rest of the evidence, but they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement. What a strange reaction, right? What a strange sentence that is. They did not believe it because of joy and amazement. What does that mean, that you cannot believe something because of joy and amazement? Well, I remember many, many years ago, when I was in my second year in university, I was studying commerce. 
And I did this subject, which I found really difficult, called Accountancy Year 2. I remember walking out of my exam at the end of the year, and I thought to myself, okay, that's it. I failed. I've got to do this stupid subject again the next year, right? In those days, we didn't have internet, right? So you don't get an email telling you your results. You wait for the mail. So I'm waiting for the mail, waiting for the mail. I'm back in Singapore, waiting for my mail from Australia to come. I finally get the, the letter. I rip it open. I tear open my exam results. I'm looking for accountancy year two. I look at the result. PC. Now I'm expecting F for fail. Maybe P for pass, unlikely C for credit, highly unlikely D for distinction or high distinction. But what's PC? So I get the thing and I'm looking around. Okay, what's the marking guide? PC. Okay, apparently PC is when you go to your second year university and you fail the end of year exam by like one or two marks. And the lecturers feel that you've worked really hard during the year, you know, you're competent the subject and, uh, you know, you just had a bad day during the exam, and out of the grace of their heart, they allow you to have a PC, a pass conceded, so that you can move on to year three. And so, at that moment, I was like, like the disciples. Lah. I was disbelieving because of joy and amazement. Like, how, how is this possible getting a PC, right? I'm looking at the thing, make sure it's not an F, right? There's some problem with the ink. I call up the university. Hey, what's this PC thing? Did I really pass? Can next year, am I going on to accountancy year three? I think that's how the disciples felt, right? They, they have all this weight of evidence. Jesus is standing in front of them. They can poke their fingers through the holes in his hands and his feet, but they're disbelieving because of joy and amazement. So what does Jesus do? He condescends to give them one more piece of evidence. Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. So we see here that the disciples, they're watching Jesus very attentively. He's eating the fish, bite after bite, mouthful after mouthful, tasting, chewing, swallowing. But nothing falls to the floor, right? Because the fish is actually not stuck in his throat, but going down his throat to his stomach and his gastric system because he's a real physical person. He's not a ghost. He's actually risen from the dead. Now here we see that Jesus, in a sense, condescends to his disciples to help them to have that certainty that he really rose from the dead. Luke records this for us because we too need that certainty to know that Jesus rose from the dead. In the beginning of today's section, that we're looking at verse 36 to 43, right, on the resurrection of Jesus, twice he repeats, right, Jesus himself stood among them. He took it and ate it in their presence. He, he's very chong hey, right? He wants us to be reminded that these events are witnessed by eyewitnesses. And this brings us back to Luke chapter 1, right? The purpose of why Luke wrote in the first place. Many have undertaken an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first eyewitnesses. Verse 4, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. See, it's so important for us to remember that Jesus really rose from the dead. Now, this is important for us because we live in a world now where 
the world is committed to this scientific worldview, right? Like the scientific worldview is almost like a, a philosophy or a god in this world. Anything that doesn't fit into the scientific perspective must be wrong. And so I often meet Christians. In fact, believe it or not, actually there are people who come to our church that I speak to who struggle with the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. They, they struggle to believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead. But this is like the core belief, right? If you want to be a Christian, then it must historically be true that Jesus rose from the dead. And all the more, like when we are lying in the hospital or you have a relative lying in the hospital and you are there with the, your forehead with, you know, creased with worry and you're wringing your hands and speaking to the doctor and death is at his doorstep, right? You need to know that Jesus has risen from the dead. And all the more, we need to know that Jesus has risen from the dead because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then why do we bother doing missions? Why do we bother going to Batam to tell people about Jesus Christ? Why do we bother to go to Danang about telling people that Jesus rose from the dead? Why do we even bother telling our neighbors, our relatives, or our classmates and, and colleagues that Jesus, that you have to be a Christian? If he's just another human person who died, then the whole rationale for Christianity falls flat on its face, right? But well, you need to remember that Jesus did rise from the dead. And so, the purpose here is of certainty. Certainty for the disciples and certainty for us, as Luke records for us, these eyewitness accounts of Jesus rising from the dead. Now, Jesus then goes on to, to tell them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Now here we see certainty from eyewitness accounts in the first section. But now we see certainty, Jesus says, because it is part of God's plan in Scripture. You notice here that he actually, in a kind of long-winded way, looks at Scripture in its entirety, right? He says, the law of Moses, which is the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the prophets, which is the rest of the Bible, and the writings, in a sense, the Psalms, right? Jesus says all of these things, the whole of the whole Old Testament points to the resurrection of Jesus and his death. Now, that, what this means is that he's trying to show us that the resurrection of Jesus is destined to happen. It must happen because it is part of God's plan for Jesus. It's part of the flow of Jesus. It's part of the flow of history, now this is important then because it shows us in one, one sense that when we read the Old Testament, it's not just about the law or it's not just about Adam and Eve or about David and Goliath, but it's actually pointing towards the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now I want us to notice something, right, in verse 45. Then you open their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Now this is really significant seems as if it's not enough that he opened the Bible to them. He actually needed to do some supernatural work to open their minds so that they could understand what they were reading. This is really important because earlier on in chapter 9 and in chapter 18, both times Jesus predicted that he was going to die. And both times he, and he also predicted he was going to rise from the dead. Right? 
But both of those times, even though he was speaking not plain English, but plain Greek, they did not understand what this meant, and it was hidden to, from them, so they did not grasp it. But now at the resurrection of Jesus, we see that Jesus opened their minds, right? But the interesting thing is, it doesn't say he opened their minds so that they remembered what he said in Luke chapter 8, 18 and 9, right? He didn't, they, it doesn't say, oh, he opened their minds so that their memory could improve. It says he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. So what's happening here is, Jesus opened the scriptures to them, Old Testament in its entirety, they understood and they could see its fulfillment in Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead. There is a destiny to it, there's a necessity to it, right? Because it's part of God's plan right from the beginning. Now this is important for us because it then tells us that what the the disciples are going through, what they are witnessing, it's not some random accident in history or it's just something which, you know, it's some trivial thing in history, but it's actually the witnessing of the fulfillment of God's plan, right? It's, they're seeing right before their eyes the fulfillment of God's promises that come to them through the Old Testament. Now, this is really important in, in the sense where the necessity of the fulfillment of God's promises in the Old Testament because of what Jesus continues to say. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures and he told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer, first thing, and rise from the dead, second thing, and repentance and forgiveness for the sins, forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Now what this means is that in the beginning, the disciples were kind of like passive witnesses, right? What they were witnessing were the things that were happening around them. It was a noun, right? You know, witness is a noun, right? You are a witness, noun, okay? But God's promises in Scripture find their fulfillment when they themselves now take an active role in witnessing for Jesus, so they become, they move from being witnesses as nouns to witnesses as verbs. They need to take action to witness for Jesus, to tell the world what Jesus has done. And this then is part of the plan of God, right? It doesn't just end with uh, Jesus dying on the cross and Jesus rising from the dead, but they have a part to play. Now this is important because in a sense, we too have a part to play in the plan of God, right? We, we are involved in this plan. God wants this preaching to be done, not just by disciples, but by all people. It doesn't end, right, when, the, when all the disciples become like 80 years old and they all die or they, you know, get persecuted and that's the end of God's plan, right? We get a part to play in this great plan too. So what is the plan? What is the plan? Okay? Now this plan here is Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And I want to spend a bit of time looking at this. So yesterday we kind of did this uh, logic diagram, right? So what is the first thing that needs to be done? The action is to preach, right? To preach. This is really important for us to remember. 
To preach means to open our mouths, speak words. Open our mouths and speak words. Really important for us to hear this because there are many Christians around the world who somehow have the wrong idea that you can witness to Jesus without opening your mouth and speaking words. Have you ever heard of this quote, apparently or allegedly, by St. Francis of Assisi? Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Any of you ever hear this quote before? Well, apparently it's not true. Lah. Okay, if you do a fact checker, uh, someone's actually misquoted uh, one of the writings of Francis of Assisi. But not only that, it's just plain wrong, right? Because there, to preach Jesus means we need to open our mouths and speak words about Jesus. It's not good enough for us to live good lives or to you know, be good employees or have successful careers and think that somehow, in some way, God will use us to evangelize people because when they look at us, they can see Jesus Christ stamped on our forehead, right? So, first thing, the fulfillment of Scripture comes because there's preaching. What is the content of that preaching? And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached. Again, this is something that is surprising to us, right? What is being preached is not just the knowledge of Jesus. It's not, they, he, Jesus didn't say to the disciples, go and witness and tell people, they saw me rise from the dead. He tells them to go out and to preach repentance. Repentance, by its very definition, means a change of life, right? A change of orientation in life, a change of thinking, a change of behavior, a change of perspective in terms of our thinking about God and sin and righteousness. Now, this is so important for us to remember because we live in a culture where basically it, it kind of like exalts individualism, right? Just be me. Just do you, right? Be yourself. And increasingly, Christians around the world, including Singapore, believe that. They believe, you know, God is a God of love. Jesus doesn't judge. I don't need to change anything. You know, God loves me the way I am unconditionally. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus says, repentance for the forgiveness of sins, right? So we need to change. And people need to change in order to receive forgiveness of sins. In terms of missions and evangelism, it's very offensive to ask people to repent. I mean, if it's offensive as an individual telling another individual, it's even more offensive if I go to another society, in another place, in another culture in the world, and tell them they need to change. It kind of like smacks of judgmentalism, authoritarianism, colonization, cultural security, right? If I go to another place, I tell you, hey, you need to change. People will say, who are you to tell me that I need to change? But Jesus says, commands, and says scripture is fulfilled because we preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So it's not enough that we embody good works or we embody love of Christ. At the end of the day, the end goal still must be for people to reorientate their life and reorientate their behavior and their perspective on life towards God and to righteous living and away from sin. Now, the last thing he says is, 
Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached. Now again, this is something we need to remind ourselves of because there's a lot of preaching out there in the world which doesn't preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins. There's lots of preaching out there in the world which preaches that you believe in Jesus and God will give you favor. You believe in Jesus, you will get blessings. You believe in Jesus and you'll have a good life. You believe in Jesus and you will have your best life. But that is not what Jesus says here, right? He doesn't tell the disciples, he doesn't say that this is what God's plan in Scripture is, that we go out and preach, believe in Jesus, and have your best life. He says, preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And that's what we need to do, because we are kind of part of that plan too. In Scripture, it's pointing in this trajectory. Jesus has risen, oh, sorry, died on the cross. Jesus has risen from the dead. But now our response to fulfill God's promise in Scripture must be to share the good news, tell people to repent for the forgiveness of sins. Now the last few verses in the book of Luke ends this way. It doesn't end with Jesus rising from the dead, but instead it goes on. When he had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Now, this is really interesting, this part. It says, Jesus left them and was taken up to heaven, and then they worshipped him. Now, to us, it's no big deal. But actually, as we read through the book of Luke, it is a significant thing. It is a super-duper big deal. Because they were Jews. And as Jews, you do not worship human beings. You only worship God. Now, in Luke chapter 4, Satan tempts Jesus, right? He says in verse 7, If you will worship me, it will all be yours, all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus says, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Right? Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So when Jesus rose from the dead, they didn't worship Jesus. When Jesus rose to heaven, then they worshiped Jesus. In the first 23 chapters of Luke, they never worshiped Jesus. They followed Jesus, yes. They were his disciples, yes. They were instructed by Jesus, yes, but they never worshipped Jesus. And that's because here something significant has happened, right? As Jesus rises up to heaven, they recognize him for who he truly is. He is God. He is the Son of God. Which is a big irony because when you consider in the first 23 verses, chapters of the book of Luke, the reason why the religious leaders kept persecuting Jesus and wanted to kill Jesus, and at the trial, the charge against Jesus was, you are the Son of God. Actually, it's true. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son of God. And the disciples recognize it when Jesus rises up to heaven. But I wanted us to notice that the mood is one of great joy, right? They worship him and return to Jerusalem with great joy. In fact, this mood of joy kind of like permeates through the whole of this section if you haven't noticed. 
Jesus rose from the dead, and when they were convinced in the sense of Jesus' resurrection, they still did not believe it because of joy and amazing, right? This believing joy, some of the translations say. In chapter 24, when he rose up to heaven, they worship him and return to Jerusalem with great joy. See here, the certainty about Jesus' resurrection from the dead, the certainty of Jesus rising up to heaven, is not just some intellectual, mental ascension that Jesus actually did this. There is a heartfelt response that Jesus rose from the dead and he's gone up to heaven as God. Like these things are not just things that we like assent or give uh, our, you know, our checklist and say, yes, we believe in these things when we say the Apostles' Creed or something. These are things that which must fill us with joy, right? Because the resurrection of Jesus, his ascension to heaven, means so much to us. When I'm dying in hospital one day, or when you're dying in hospital one day, when we have that certainty of what Jesus has done, it's got implications for us. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, I know that I can rise together with Jesus. Because Jesus has now risen to heaven as God, I can go and sit at the right hand of Jesus, together with him in heaven. And so, in conclusion, recently I've been meeting quite a few people who seem to be having these existential crises. And so they'll say to me, oh, you know, what is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of life? Woe is me, right? Why should I get up in the morning? There's nothing big enough or, or important enough for me to get up for in life. And, and, and it's not just uh, people who are getting retired. It's not just people who are midlife. It's young people too who are getting out of school or going to the workforce. They're like, everything seems so purposeless. Everything seems so meaningless, right? Yeah, some of you are nodding your head. Yeah, okay. But how different it is for us as Christians, right? Because... Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus has ascended to heaven. We are part of this plan which continues on to give witness to the world. We continue to worship Jesus who is alive in heaven. And we have great joy in our hearts because we know that these things are true. So I wonder further for ourselves, we may intellectually be very happy for us to say, yes, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that Jesus has ascended to heaven. But what does it mean to you? What, what does it mean for you in your life? Does it fill you with joy? Do you recognize the implications of what it means that this is part of God's plan? It's destined to happen. It must happen. And we, in a sense, have a part to play in God's plan as well, to witness to this world around us so that they too can be saved and receive forgiveness of sins that we can worship God together with them. We can share the joy that we now have because we know that Jesus has risen both out of death up to heaven and he is God and he will come back again to save us. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to ask that you may help us to, to be very clear in our minds of the certainty that Jesus rose from the dead. He did not allow death, he did not allow dying to control it, its hold over him. 
but instead through your power, he physically rose again. Dear Father, help us to see how this is all part of your divine plan in Scripture, which has found fulfillment in the resurrection of Jesus and his death, but also in his ascension. And dear Father, help us to be filled with great joy for what it means for us that we too, together, look forward for Jesus to bring us to overcome the power of dying. That because he is in heaven, we can look forward with great expectation to be with him in heaven. Help us to see that we have a part to play in this great plan of yours to bring it to fulfillment. To preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins to all nations in the world. Dear Father, we pray that we may open our mouths to speak words, to share Jesus. That we may call on people to reorientate their lives to turn away from sin and to turn to God, to you, and to following Jesus. And to share with them the great promise that true repentance that they may receive forgiveness of sins. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Andrew. And now we have a time of reflection and discussion. Um, the questions are on the screen. Uh, what, can be, what can we be certain about? And why? And what must we do in response? So uh, we'll give you some, some time to turn to your neighbour and uh, spend time discussing these questions. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.